electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Good evening. I'm Jim Cramer, and welcome to my world. We call my world Mad Money. That was March 14, 2005, the first time I greeted Cramerica from our capital, Studio C, at CNBC headquarters. Ever since that day, this has been our home base. And tonight marks my last time coming to you from this very set. Joining me Monday, where it'll be, you've got, I can't believe it's happening. Yep, on Monday, I'm moving to the floor of the New York Stock Exchange for Mad Money. And while the location may be changing, for 17 years, our mission has never, ever changed. That's right. Other people want to make friends. I just want to help you make money. My job is not just to entertain, but to teach and educate. And I'll be doing it down there the exact same way I do it here. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Cramer. And yes, I am a little wistful. All right. I know. Everything seems out of control. Yes, the Fed might need to cause a recession to stamp out inflation. But no, that doesn't mean it's the end of the world for stocks, even as it's obviously not great for the averages. Another lackluster day. Dow sinking 143 points. It was much lower, one point. S&P declining 0.30%. And the Nasdaq actually inching up 0.03%. You know, the latter was another remarkable recovery from the abyss, just like yesterday's session. The fact is, if you own stocks right now, the odds favor that you're going to lose money. So why not just get out and circle back at a better moment? Totally logical question. The illogical answer, because losing money in markets like this one is actually part of the process. Don't get me wrong. I'd love to sidestep this kind of action. But most people, including me, just aren't nimble enough to pull that off, which is why you're better staying the course. At times like this, we forget what it's like to make money. We wake up and wonder not what the opportunity is, but how much we're going to lose today. Yeah, I joke with the security guards at the New York Stock Exchange almost every morning that the Dow futures are only down 300 points. Yeah, it's gotten that bad. But second, we have to worry that the endless nature of the sell-off is now becoming self-fulfilling. 
Just like the dot-com collapse in 2000 and 2001, there are just fewer and fewer and fewer people each day who care about stocks. They're now past the denial phase and are in the acceptance mode. The money's lost. It's not coming back. Those who thought they could make a living, say, by trading, by day trading, now recognize they're going to have to find a real job. And by the way, they want to be paid in cash, not cash in stock, because they, they know better. They are done. They are out. Hey, by the way, I would like to know how, many, how much real activity there might be, say, at Robinhood with all those 20 million accounts. I mean, how many kids also got blown out by the crypto cryptos? Finally, people are just plain mad. They're bitter. They want someone to blame. There's a big construction project going on downtown next to our soon-to-be new home at the New York Stock Exchange. Every morning between my coffee guy and my office construction, I, and my office, construction workers like to talk with me. They know I have a show. They, when I wanted them to buy what we would all consider blue-chip stocks, they wanted to buy the SPACs or, or the new issues. When times were good, a lot of that Kathy Wood junk. And now, now they think the whole shooting match is just one big con game. These days, we don't talk about stocks at all. We talk about the Mets, maybe the Phils. Good day, we talk about the Eagles. I've been on Twitter for 14 years, and it was always fun to look at my mentions column. I like to answer people. Not anymore. I think the nastiness has more to do with the anger toward Jimmy Chill as someone who stands for the market. And the market's no fun anymore. And who do they blame? Me. Believe it or not, I don't control the stock market, at least not since I resigned from my position in the Illuminati. If I write that I have great zucchinis... They want a short zucchinis. Now, let me be really clear. All of this is very typical of what happens when you're in the midst of a miserable bear market. I got the same kind of flack in 2000. Yeah, 2000, 22 years ago. Even though I told everyone to sell right before the peak, it didn't matter. I was hated. came with the territory. I am a top 10 hated figure at Twitter. Now, am I proud of that? I'm from Philly. You bet I am. All right, now, how long can this last? I mean, not just the hatred toward me. Well, it's tough to answer because it's a moving target. Here's what I mean. Look at this chart. Now, if this were a stock and I came to you, I said, you know what? I want you to buy some of this right here. Uh, let's take some down. I know exactly what you would say. You'd say that darn Jimmy Chill. I hate him so much. He now comes to me now after this with an unsustainable, insane rally that has to end badly. And now he tells me to buy with a splat, not a gentle slope. <laughs> but this isn't a stock. You know what this chart is? It's a chart of the PPI. The thing that spooked everybody today. Yeah, the producer price index. It's a key gauge of inflation. We're all so worried about it. But if this were a stock, you wouldn't buy it. You'd sell it. You'd short it. So come on. Let's start getting serious about whether this is the beginning or the end. It's not going to stay there. All right, now I got another. All right. Does this one look like it's in an uncontrollable rally phase? I mean, wow, this thing's insane. It's going to the moon. I got to get in. Or is this a chart of something that's done absolutely nothing that we shouldn't even be worried about? We shouldn't think about. Well, guess what? Look what this chart is. It's oil. When oil was going up every day, it controlled the debate. Everyone was scared. Ooh, $5. I paid $5.50. I paid $100. My God, I paid $85. Wow, I can't believe I did that. Jeez, I'm voting for this guy. All right, now look. It stood for inflation, right? Well, now it's coming down hard, and the price of the pump is coming down even harder. The oil stocks are horrendous. I know. I own a bunch of them for the trust. Uh, When it goes down, everyone 
looks the other way. When it goes up, it's all we talk about. You think that's fair? I think it's silly. I think it's stupid. Okay, one more. All we've been hearing about today is that the food prices, and listen, that kind of agriculture, gotten out of control, right? I mean, no kidding. I've been in a supermarket. Hey, flying steak, $17. I can't believe it. I can do all that stuff. Food, though, doesn't come from the sky. This is not the book of Exodus, where we get manna from heaven. It doesn't come from heaven. But I care about the future of food, not the food I bought last night at King's. Food starts as agriculture. Look at this chart. This is what I call an ugly chart. I think this thing's going lower. So do you. If I came to you with this one, you would say, oh, there goes Jimmy Chilligan trying to take my hard-earned dollars. Let's see what this chart is. Oh, it's a chart of agriculture. All the things that go into food, and it's coming down huge, and it looks like a short to me. Yeah, it's a forecast of the price of food to come. Now I'm really shaking. Three charts. Three charts that reflect crucial parts of the inflation equation that all we ever do is talk about. All are pointing toward the idea that inflation's peaking, although I still favor one last 100 basis point rate hike from the Fed, just to make sure. There were a couple of news outlets that were making fun of me saying, Kramer thinks it's peaking. I don't, Kramer isn't thinking anything. Kramer's looking at darn pictures, and that's what he's looking at. The important thing, though, is that the goalposts have changed again. We hope that we get producer price index numbers, that we hope to get a peak in oil, we hope to get a peak in food. Looking at these charts, I think, well, it's obvious what's happened, right? It's obvious when you look at the charts. I, they're all peaking, right? PPI could be peaking right around here. But the goalposts have changed because now Wall Street says all this stuff doesn't matter because it's only happening because we're headed for a recession. Six months ago, these peaks would have been ridiculously bullish, but now they're just pictographs of a weakened economy. Now, change the goalposts, change the goalposts, change the goalposts. There's truth to the picks. All right, now let's go back to the misery. The misery that I'm talking about. We've been going down and down and down and down again because professional money managers want to get ahead of everybody else who's trying to sell. For example, the hedge fund playbook says that you have to dump the auto stocks no matter what's going on in the slowdown, no matter how well they're doing. Why not? The odds favor getting out. They favor what is good. But what if it's not good? I mean, the stock, not the companies. Well, what if the, the recession has beaten us to it? What if GM stock, which trades at less, less than five times earnings, an incredible stock that trades at less than five times earnings. Okay, GM? A full, totally a flux of recession, if you ask me. What happens if we don't get a full-blown, horrible recession? I mean, it's got a giant full line of pretty cool electric vehicles coming. It's got auto, the auto drive stuff that I've seen in action. We have GM's chair and CEO, Mary Barrow, on later tonight. You're going to hear a dazzling story of a turnaround, but nobody cares. I mean, but you keep me away from that. Don't you know that there's a recession? Ouch! we got to get a new set. This thing just cut my arm. All right, I come back and I say, just wait. There will come a day when you need to own GM because this is the kind of stock that goes up 20% in three sessions. And if you don't hold it for that one day and miss those three sessions, well, you'll miss the whole move. Endure the pain for those three sessions. Of course, if you know which three days that is, well, you can trade it in and out. Nobody's that good. Now, before you say I'm out of my mind, uh, let alone off my meds, can I tell you that this very morning when the tech-heavy Nasdaq was down 2%, 2%, uh, I bumped into a guy at the construction site who usually asks me about Nasdaq stocks, including one we have on tonight, Plug Power. He gave me a nice wave, sweet, terrific guy. But when I wanted to tell him that Plug was on, I hesitated. The Nasdaq was about to take your head off again. I didn't want the hard hat hitting me, right? I mean, you know, plug power. Maybe it hurt. Instead, what happens? The Nasdaq rallies. The goalposts move back a hair. The bottom line, 
I'm sure we aren't done with this misery. But I'm also sure that one day the goalposts will be at the end of the field and all will be well. I just don't know when. On Mad Money tonight, General Motors is planning for an electrified future. So what strides has the company made in pursuit to dominate the EV world? I am talking exclusively to the CEO. Then there are a handful of stocks that have given up all their COVID gains. I'm taking a closer look at the list and giving you my take. And from EVs to green hydrogen, yes, indeed, we're going to learn more about Plug Power's plan to expand the company's top brass. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1 800 743 CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. So, Booyah, Jim, congratulations on a great show. Mad Money is not a show about picking stocks for you. It's a show about empowering you to think for yourself. This is Bill from New York. Jim, thanks so much. Hey, Jim, this is Curtis from North Carolina. I wanted to say thanks to you for creating Mad Money. Booyah! The man, the myth, the legend. The Wizard of Wall Street. This is Duffy from Philly, and I want to give a good booyah. You are the reason why we do this. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact, smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visible visibility at indeed.com slash mad money. Just go to indeed.com slash mad money right now and support this show by saying you heard about indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mad money. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need indeed. I don't have to tell you about it. It's been a brutal year for the market. But most stocks are simply rolling back their enormous gains from 2020 and 2021. 
Let's think. The Dow's still up more than 7% since the end of 2019. The S&P's up more than 17% over the same period. And the Nasdaq's up 25%. You could argue that for many groups, this bear market's simply about working off the excesses of the past few years. Although, of course, if you came in at the high, it sure doesn't feel like that. However, for some stocks itself, it's even been worse than that. The hardest hit names are now trading below where they were at the start of the pandemic. In some cases, well below it. These are what I call total giveback stories. And while some of them are dangerous, I admit, others represent, I think, amazing buying opportunities down here. When you look at all the stocks in the S&P 500, fully 172 of them are trading below where they were at the end of 2019. I think it's pretty staggering. More than a third of the index. Many of these declines, though, are well-deserved. For example, if you look at the three worst-performing stocks in the S&P, well, they're all cruise lines, for heaven's sake. They lost massive amounts of business during the pandemic and took on a mountain of debt in order to survive. Well, you know, you don't, those are hard ones to justify buying. Rather than bottom fish with the worst performers, we want to stick to, let's say, more proven stories. That's why we're focused on the 10 total giveback stocks with the largest market capitalizations as of yesterday's close. These are not small caps. These are biggies. Start at mega platforms. Okay, remember that, Facebook? J.P. Morgan, Bank of America, Verizon, Comcast, parent company, this network, Cisco Systems, Walt Disney, Intel, Wells Fargo, and ATT. Of course, some of these stocks are a lot more attractive than others. Why don't we take them one by one? First, Meta Platforms, the artist formerly known as Facebook. It's now down a staggering 23% from the end of 2019. Although their earnings have nearly doubled since then, the earnings growth has stalled, which is why the stock can't seem to get any traction at all. I like Meta, though, because starting now, they're up against much easier comparisons going forward, and they've gotten aggressive about cutting costs, which is positive, not negative, for heaven's sake. And look, the darn thing only trades at 17 times earnings, and I do believe, by the way, that... TikTok is going to get its money, going to get a run for its money from Reels, and I think people are going to like the metaverse come the holiday season. Second, let's talk about the banks. J.P. Morgan, Bank of America, Wells Fargo. Due to the nature of this business, the big money center banks have all had pretty choppy earnings. Uh, Strange trajectory, frankly, since 2019. Normally, when the Fed's raising interest rates, these stocks are the biggest beneficiaries because they instantly make more money taking your deposits and sticking them in risk-free short-term treasuries that give them a much bigger yield than they pay you. That said, if we really do go into recession, like Jamie Hurricane Diamond is predicting, and what it kind of sounded like in the release, but not actually in the conference call today, well, they're going to have to take big credit charges to prepare for a new wave of loan losses. At the same time, all three have capital markets exposure, and that business, let's just say, is dead as a doornail. But even with all these headwinds, the big banks are expected to make more money this year than they did in 2019. Yet somehow, J.P. Morgan's stock is down more than 20% since then. Bank of America is off nearly 15%. The one exception the one owned by my Chapel Trust, is Wells Fargo, where the earnings are basically flat. But the stock's fallen 28%. Now, obviously, things are looking worse today since J.P. Morgan just reported a genuine homespun disappointment. The headline numbers were bad, although actually when you looked under the hood, almost all of this shortfall weakness is in investment banking. I don't know how anyone who's paying attention through the investment banking business, if anyone looked at it, wouldn't they know that there wasn't any business this quarter? Wall Street also wasn't thrilled that J.P. Morgan has paused its buyback. That I didn't like either. But their core consumer business is on fire, with debt interest income up 19% year-over-year. Even Jamie the Hurricane had some good things to say about the overall economy. Don't touch the stock. There are better banks. 
like, for instance, Wells Fargo, whom we'll hear from tomorrow, and then Bank of America on Monday. I'm reserving judgment until we get more information on both. I will say that last quarter we saw a pretty sharp divergence between the banks. They were doing well and the ones that were doing poorly. And look, unless you expect a sharp recession, I think the banks look pretty darn good here. By the way, J.P. Morgan's got a 3.7% yield. Bank of America, 2.9%. Wells Fargo, 2.4%. I like the Wells as a turnaround story. And as for Bank of America, it's arguably the single best way to play rising interest rates, thanks to its gargantuan deposit base. So, so far, so good. Next, how about Verizon? Much tougher. This company has struggled to grow, but I think it's a good bond market alternative. The game plan with Verizon has been simple. You buy it at 50 or, or below, and then you sell it around 60, and you collect 5% dividend yield in the interim. It's kind of like, I don't know, St. James Place, New York, it, it, in Monopoly. All right, then there's Comcast, which I can't really go into much in detail because it is the parent company of this network. But the stock's down 12% from the end of 2019. Earnings are up 14%. Then we've got Cisco, problematic, owner for the charitable trust. I like it. Last quarter, ugly. Most of that weakness was because of the Chinese lockdown. The Evergreen Kingpin stock saw its stock drop nearly 12% since the end of 2019, yet it's had solid earnings growth every year since then, with 4% growth expected this year, even after a uh, China-related guidance cut in May. And, hey, that that 3.6% yield doesn't hurt today. But what did hurt was the downgrade we got from a Wall Street firm that I thought was silly, given how low the stock already is. Now, what about the most problematic stock that we currently own in our chat? Well, now there's like two problematic trusts. But it's a problem I started with my trust owns. And I would never have thought it would come to this because it's such a plain, vanilla, iconic name, and that is Walt Disney. The stock's been just guttered, just gaffed. Because Wall Street sees it as a streaming play. And that whole industry's been put through the meat grinder, a la Netflix. I think that's insane, frankly, which is why I like Disney so much. Where's Netflix's theme parks? I've not been to them. These guys at Disney are expected to have a 71% earnings growth this year, and they're on track for 39% growth next year. Got to be patient, though. Nobody else seems to care or, more importantly, believe. Next is Intel which absolutely deserves to be down 37% for the end of 2019 because they've fallen further and further behind their competitors. While the stock is cheap down here and it's got a nice yield, there are so many better ways to bet on recovery for the beaten down semiconductor space. Yeah, the Chapel Trust owns a bunch of them if you want to look at them. Finally, we've got ATT which is down more than 30% from the end of 2019, although part of that's from the Warner Media spinoff. But even when you account for that, the stock's still down. While this is now a much cleaner story, ATT's management does not inspire confidence, at least with me. If you want a growth story in that sector, stick with T-Mobile, please. If you want yield, then I'd rather go to the more consistent Verizon. Bottom line. When you look at the stocks that have given back all their gains from the last two and a half years, some of them are definitely worth buying. I like Meta Platforms, some of the banks, Cisco and Disney, and I own some Comcast personally as part of my compensation. The others, not yet my cup of tea. They have money's back after the break. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX. Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge, 
and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. This year, no one has any interest in the big secular growth stories that used to dominate the market, like the rise of electric vehicles. Those stories haven't gone away. For example, earlier today, General Motors announced a really exciting partnership with Pilot Company and EVGo to set up 2,000 electric charging stations and up to 500 gas stations. One of the chief obstacles to electric vehicles is the lack of charging infrastructure. So this does matter. Big deal for GM's electric Hummer, the one that can crab walk. Earlier today, we had a chance to speak to Mary Barr. She's the chair and CEO of General Motors about this deal and her company's progress toward an electric future. And yes, when will its stock move up? Take a look. Let's check in with Mary Barr. She's the chair and CEO of General Motors. Mary, it is great to see you on Mad Money. It's so great to be here. I am thrilled to be with you in person. I want to get right to it. I think there's a misunderstanding about GM. GM is a leader, not just in autonomous, but also in EV. Demonstrated by today, you and that incredible joint venture with Pilot Company, which will make people realize that an EV is not just a local car. How did this come together? Well, you know, we've been working on making sure that there's a robust charging infrastructure. And Pilot Company was a great company to to partner with because 78% of the population in the United States lives uh, 10 minutes or I believe 10 miles away. So they're across the country and they're a great partner. And, you know, even right now, our uh, customers, we give them access to 100,000 chargers in, in the country, which is a lot. But I think Pilot J is going to take it to the next level because they're at their stations that, you know, you'll know they'll be working. If you're a GM uh, car buyer or vehicle buyer, you're going to get uh, preferred scheduling and also a discount. So we're really excited about the partnership because of the reach that it has and the fact that they're doing an upgrade right now. So it's going to be a facility people are going to want to spend a little time at. So if I buy a Chevy Bolt EV, I won't be thinking it's just a local car anymore. No, definitely not, because now you're going to, you know, we're looking in most places to have them set up every 50 miles. So it's really going to give people flexibility because really we want people who only own one vehicle to have comfort and and feel secure that when they buy uh, an EV uh, vehicle, they're not going to be stranded. So this was really important. Now, let's talk about autonomous, too. We were in San Francisco recently. And you look up and it's probably within five minutes you see one of yours. They're everywhere. Where is that program? Well, so we uh, got our permits. So we're now uh, actually giving rides, uh, commercial rides, and able to charge for them. People consistently, when they get the ride, they, they say, you know, this technology is amazing. They often say, you know, because the vehicle drives so well. 
so it's really a, uh, you know, a game changer. And I think, you know, we're starting, we're gated by safety. And so we've been continuing now to expand uh, by the end of the year. We plan to be the full seven by seven of San Francisco and 24 seven, um, you know, 24 hours, seven days a week. So we're on path. Safety record of the machine versus the person? Well, we know from the information that's been collected that 90% of fatalities in the U.S. are caused by human error. And an autonomous vehicle doesn't drive distracted, doesn't drive under the influence of anything, knows all the traffic uh, laws and and rules. And so it's it's like a perfect driver who's always paying attention. Now, you did recently pre-announce that you were not going to necessarily make the projections. Uh, At the same time, the reasons seem very simple. You've got particularly one big problem. You can't get the parts. I mean, you have a huge number of cars, basically, that you can't finish. When is this nightmare going to end? Well, you know, it's gotten better this year since uh, than last year. But really, this will go into 23. And that's why it's so important that we get uh, chip manufacturing, you know, uh, in this country. And the CHIPS Act is so important. But Uh, Really, it's going to take uh, additional capacity. And then at General Motors, we also announced we're standardizing on three families of semiconductors. So we're going to have a lot more ability, a lot more scale as we go forward. But right now, it's it's, you know, we we solve issues and new issues pop up and we're just dealing with it on a weekly basis. Weekly basis. Yes. All right. Now, uh, uh, and something that has really bothered me, we've got a very strong dollar. there have been tariffs on China at times when China had an advantage. We like our partners in Europe and we like Japan. But these co- the companies that make autos in those, in those areas are crushing us just because of our strong dollar. Is there anything that anyone can do in Washington to help? Well, I think, you know, the overall state of the economy, you know, the global economy from, uh, you know, with inflation and all of the challenges, I think we're in unprecedented territory because of what's happened with the pandemic. And we still are seeing the effects of the pandemic. And and then in addition, all the supply chain challenges we've had. I mean, what we're seeing and, you know, we watch it very closely, is we're still seeing very strong demand for our products. In fact, our inventory is very low and doesn't right. help when we have to build shy. Right. But we'll be working out of that in this next quarter. Uh, and we still plan on, um, you know, on July 1st, we re reinforce that our guidance for the year is still intact. And that's important. Now, I got this uh, July 6th. GM delivers 484,000 vehicles in China in the second quarter. We spend more time talking about whether uh, how many cars Elon Musk will make over the next seven minutes. Then we care about 484,000 vehicles in China in the second quarter. I want to write that picture. I want to make it a little more clear. That is a gigantic number of cars for a country that a lot of people feel is shut down. Well, uh, you know, yes, we have a very successful business in China, the the strength of the Buick brand, the Cadillac brand, and the Chevrolet brand. And, you know, we've been there for over 25 years. Uh, We're number two in the market. And we have a lot of EVs coming out in China now as well, built off of our Altium platform. So uh, we see huge opportunity to grow as the country is shifting to electric vehicles. Now, uh, when it's at the same time that all this is happening, the Fed wants to raise rates now furiously. Financing is incredibly important to buy a GM car. Uh, there's, is there anything that can, I guess, offset that either? 
Well, again, you know, we're still seeing a, a very enthusiastic consumer. And, and and again, even with, you know, our we can't make enough full size pickup trucks and full size SUVs. So the demand is really strong for some of these vehicles that um, are very much on the premium side. And people don't just drive trucks now who need it for work purpose. I mean, I believe in many cases trucks are becoming the new luxury sedan. Well, I, I know that to be the case. So let me ask you, are you making a lot of money per EV? Well, you know, we have said um, as we get into mid-decade, we'll be uh, 60% lower. The, you know, if you think about the Bolt EUV that's out right now, right. and then you look at the Lyric that we started That's because you know, my next shipping. question was, in the Lyric, maybe you well, can make money on that. Well, it's good looking. I don't talk about, we at GM don't talk about uh, individual product line profitability. You no, know? nope. but what we do, we're, battery costs are 40% lower from what we had in the uh, the Bolt to what we'll have in the Lyric and, and the Hummer and those vehicles. And by uh, mid-decade, we see another 20% uh, opportunity, so 60% from where we are. We need to continue to improve the cost of batteries, higher energy density, lower cost. That's then going to lead us to be able to maintain margins. But through this period, we're working very hard to maintain similar margins as we make this transition. Now, you did do a breakthrough deal with MP Materials, which will assure that you have some rare metals that nobody else has. Uh, How's that working out? Well, we've done, I think, nine uh, deals right now because we're looking across everything we need to make electric vehicles and and then, frankly, the the whole vehicle, but in this space. And we're still um, securing um, more and more production. And also right now it's an interesting time because, you know, lithium and nickel are probably the two that are the most talked about. But we also want to make sure uh, that we have the right deals for long-term supply. We'll talk more about this at earnings in uh, in less than a month. All right, so let's go full circle here. On every single one of these, issues. you got great demand. you got a great product lineup. We didn't even spend as much time as I'd like to in Lear, but I want to get to some other issues. You've got self-driving. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got great EV. You've got a great deal now with, with, uh, with Pilot, Flying J. And yet your stock says is the lowest price earnings multiple in the New York Stock Exchange other than uh, an iron steel company. Something's wrong with this picture, Mary, and maybe at your earnings or maybe you do a special day with us. I don't know, but it bothers me because your your stock is too cheap and I struggle over it every single day. Well, I think I might be the person who's struggling even more with you. But, you know, what we're going to do is we're just going to execute. We know we have a winning EV lineup and every product we launch, whether it's the Hummer, the Lyric, we're excited. The Blazer's going the to be Blazer's launched on Monday. Cool. On Monday, you know, we're going to reveal it. We have products that we know people want. And we're seeing it with uh, the number of orders that are in. So as we deliver on our EV promise, as we continue to expand crews, and as we also, you know, really the vehicles become a software platform. We already have OnStar. But as we build on that, you know, we're we're just going to prove to people General Motors is a company that uh, they ought to own because we think we can unlock incredible value. Okay, now the classic case is when the Hummer first came out, I wanted it, but it was eight miles a gallon, looking at gas burner. Now, and you know that my wife has tried one, you've got a head turner. Yes. And how many head turners can you make in the next year? Because I am sure that every one of them would be sold the moment it left left the dealer. Well, I agree with you completely. The Hummer, you know, we are, we're out a couple years. Um, we're looking now to increase production in the latter part of this year for the Hummer truck. We also have the Hummer SUV. We've got the Lyric. 
Uh, and then we have bright drop from a light commercial vehicle perspective. You know, we've yeah, got right. Some, that's just that's, that's and that's total growth opportunity orders. for us. Yeah, and and big orders from our from our customers there. Then we have the Silverado coming, which I think is going to be a truck that right. has no compromise. Uh, and that same uh, attraction that people love about the Hummer with the four wheel steer. That will be on the Silverado. Then we have the Blazer, the Equinox, which are affordable EVs. Right. And then, you know, not too long after that, we'll have this, uh, the GMC Sierra pickup truck. Uh, so, again, I think we have, over the next year and right. a half, two years, every vehicle we put out, including the Cadillac Celestic, will be a head-turner, and we will have strong demand. Well, all I can say is, is that, yes, you execute, you get a double here. Because that's how much you have in the pipeline. And you should be very proud of all the changes you've made because you're at the cutting edge of everything that America has to offer right now. Well, I, I appreciate you saying that. I'm so excited. Our team does an amazing job. We, I think we have the best engineering team and, frankly, the entire GM team on the field. And our manufacturing team that works so hard to build high-quality vehicles every day couldn't be more proud. Well, thank you very much, Mary Barr. Mary is the chair and CEO of General Motors, perhaps one of the most undervalued companies I have ever seen in my career. Then Muddy's back after the break. meltdown in speculative stocks over the last eight months has absolutely crushed so many of the alternative energy plays that were red hot for the bulk of 2020 and 2021. And you know what? That also includes plug power, New York's own best technology. It's the hydrogen fuel cell company that currently makes most of its money from hydrogen powered forklifts. Although if we ever embrace this potentially green fuel source, they could make a fortune. Of course, the whole hydrogen space is extremely speculative, which is why plug power stock has plunged from $75 at its peak in January of last year down to 17 and change today. However, it's already rebounded more than five bucks from its lows in May. Now, I'm still wary of all these things speculative. You know that I want companies that make a profit, especially if I don't have that. I really am skeptic. But is it possible that the worst is over for this one? Let's take a closer look with Andy Marsh. He's the president and CEO of Plug Power. Take the temperature of the hydrogen fuel cell business. Mr. Marsh, welcome back to Mad Money. Thanks for having me, Jim. Okay, so Andy, we are beginning to get a sense that when natural gas goes through the roof, Plug Power may be a good alternative for energy. Can you explain to people the economics of the two and why this is great news for Plug Power that natural gas is so high? Well, I can tell you today, Jim, in Europe, and I was in Denmark about two weeks ago, and they explained to me with the price of natural gas today and the price of renewable electricity, green hydrogen is actually lower cost than hydrogen made from natural gas. It's just simple economics, and it is really good for plug power. And I think it's really good for us in the hydrogen industry. All right. So let's talk about the H2 Energy Europe deal. Is that something that could be a template for the future? Jim, uh, you know, H2 Energy is backed by Trafagora, which shows you what kind of folks are involved with this project with us. And if you look at Denmark, and I was with Minister, all the, with the energy minister of Denmark, they're building 60 gigawatts of wind energy offshore in the North Sea. Most of that planning to generate hydrogen. And they're building a hydrogen pipeline that will go into Germany uh, to be used by people like Philip 66, another plug partner. And by moving energy via hydrogen, it's one fifteenth the cost of electricity. 
So it's a win for Denmark. It's a win for us in the hydrogen industry. Okay, so I was talking to someone who's in the stock, as we mentioned in the morning that you were on, and she said, could you please ask him, does he have a lot of competitors? Is that why the stock's at 17, that many other companies are doing what he's doing? I think it's a legitimate question to ask you. I think it is always a legitimate question, Jim, but I can tell you I focus on customers. I focus on customers like H2 Energy. I focus on customers like Amazon and Walmart. And that's who we're building the business around. And look, when you look at what we're doing, building really the first green hydrogen network across the United States, 500 tons by 2025. I have a huge deal we did in Belgium uh, at the port of Antwerp, which is the second largest chemical cluster in the world. And uh, when I look at I'm doing things, other people are talking. Well, this sounds like to me then that you basically are in a subtle way reaffirming those 2022 revenue targets that you're given. $925 million, still a possibility. Can I use that as a North Star or should we back away from it right now? You got the North Star, Jim. And I can tell you just in the last 30 days, I've booked uh, numbers in the electrolyzer business and the growth there that uh, will allow us to do hundreds of megawatts of electrolyzers this year. So, uh, you know, and last year we did very little. So, uh, yes, that is the North Star, and I stand behind it on the call today. And I'll stand behind it during our earnings call in, in August. All right, then we got to stand by something else here. The, the uh, Wall Street Journal, I called you on this. The Wall Street Journal did a piece called CEO Stock Sales Raised Questions About Insider Trading. Talked about an automatic trading plan that you put in that allowed you to sell 40% of your holdings. You netted $36 million, And then subsequently, some things happened at the company that were disturbing and, and, and it uh, caused the stock to drop. Now, when you read this story, uh, were you surprised that you were the poster boy? And I think our viewers are entitled to a, a, a bit of an explanation about how you were able to get out of a lot of stock before it dropped, and they weren't. So, so Jim, quick answer is uh, I properly traded it under a 10B51 plan, and uh, more than half my wealth today is tied up in plug. So we, I want to be sure again that this is not anything that the SEC called you on. It's legit. No calls from the SEC about these sales. I have not had a personal call on that, Jim. Oh, personal call. Does that mean that they called the company or you? I, Jim, I, you know, there's there's no issues. All right. That's I fair. I, I had to get at the table because what would matter is they would call you if they felt that it was not if it was untoward. I know they would do that. Right. Now, um, when you look at the next big thing, I'm going to go back to this port um, to what the United States is doing. I am looking at about Senator Schumer being very excited about Monroe County being the capital of hydrogen because of you. Now, you had a Pennsylvania deal recently. One part of it, which is right near where I'm from, one part <laughs> of it did not work out. And it looks like that there's some sort of environmental issue it wasn't clear is it significant that it didn't work out versus your other projects jim i don't you know we're going to do a lot of projects for as i mentioned 500 tons across the u.s we'll hit our 70 tons this year there was a environmental issue there that uh with permits it was a uh, uh, somewhat of an issue we could see it being delayed so we decided to move on all right, fair enough. That's and, in and let, me, let me tell you, Jim. Sure. Let me add also, that's actually good business. If something's not working, it's good to raise your hand and say, hey, let's not just 
push, push, push. No, I agree with that because I want you to have those positive gross margins. You can't be fighting in Lancaster, PA to get the and (laughs) still get the positive gross margins. All right. So it sounds like things are more than on track. I'm glad the stock is low. I know it's because people don't like companies right now that are losing money. But if they do like hydrogen power, plug power is the only way that I have found to really play it. Thank you, Andy (laughs) Marks, President and CEO of Plug Power. Good that you came on the show. Appreciate it. Thanks, Jim. Bye now. Guys, look, it doesn't make money, but it's going to have almost a billion revs. I get went through all the cons. I told you the pros. But again, companies that don't make money, very tough to own, just like I said at the top of the show. Andy Marsh, President and CEO of Plug Power. Bad Money's back here for the break. It is time. It's time for the light round. Chris Bevin, this way, Rob Falls, one of the light us out. And then the lightning round's over. Are you ready to keep that to the light round? Because we might start with Bill and Ido. Bill. Hi, Jim. Thanks for taking my call today. Of course. Today. Thank you. Hey, hey, my question is on lemonade. This past year. Lemonade. Man, those guys made lemonade. Sell, 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 Into lemon. <laughs> Jim in New York, Jim. Good day, sir, from Suffolk County, New York. Uh, investment club member since January and living it. Uh, here's my question. I'm considering WMB. I like WMB. I got a 5% yield. I think it's looking real good. Let's go to James in Virginia. James. Hey, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. I'm just uh, calling to ask you about the stock microchip and see if they're going to recover. Very inexpensive semiconductor stock down here. I wouldn't mind buying it. I think it's good. Let's go to Judson in Iowa. Judson. Jim, I'm bullish on the cybersecurity sector. Do you think CrowdStrike is one of the winners in CrowdStrike's this CrowdStrike's number two and number one is Palo Alto Networks. Let's go to Nick in Florida. Nick! Hello. I'm deeply honored to be talking to the smartest and busiest business guy on television. Oh, I wish I were, but thank you. I like today. that. Okay. And I'm calling today about the good old standby Ma Bell, AT&T. No, don't like the balance sheet. I'd rather be in Verizon. I feel safer about the yield. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Hey, I'm Kramer. Kramer. Welcome to Man Money. money. Nothing. Doesn't care. I now pronounce you man and bull. Ah. Let's take calls! Who is buzzing me? Who is buzzing me? Which one of you? Welcome to my world. We call my world mad money. Let's go to Regis in New York. Kramer, how are you? Now don't laugh. Give me the skinny on Time Warner. That's Regis Philbin that's calling. Booyah, deal. Booyah, Booyah. Booyah, Jim. Let's take a call. Go to Tim in California. Tim. Hey, Jim. I'm calling from Cupertino, California, to be exact. This is Tim Cook at Apple, and I want to congratulate you on 10 great years of mad money. That's a good call. Well, wow. The consumer's just about had it with these price increases. I say that because Costco's business has gotten stronger and stronger, going through the roof. And, and, that, and that's where you go when you can't take it anymore. A trip to Costco is a rebellion against higher prices. Costco's unique membership model, where the profits are made off the card, allows them to sell the highest quality generic product under their Kirkland brand. And consumers lap it up because it's every bit as good as the name brand stuff. Oh, by the way, the name brand stuff is real cheap there, too. Case in point, chicken. 
This morning, ConAgra reported and said it had to deal with a 60% increase in chicken costs this quarter. But Costco built a facility that processes 2 million chickens a week, which allows us to sell its rotisserie chickens darn good for much less than the competition. They just directly cut out the middleman rather than passively accepting invitation. The inflation. By the way, just because they, uh, uh, just because ConAgra pays up 60 doesn't mean it's the same kind of chicken, but you get what I mean. That competitive advantage is one of the chief reasons why CEO Craig Jelinek sounded so confident on squawking the street over this week. Costco is the place to go when you want to avoid the myriad price increases that so many consumer packaged goods companies are trying to put through. You just trade down to Kirkland. I think we'll know when inflation has run its course at the pocketbook level once those price increases can't be sustained. Everyone's going to be making a pilgrimage to Costco rather than the local supermarket. That's part of the process. The problem with this bout of inflation so far is that there's there's been almost no trade down, at least to speak of. Consumers simply haven't started changing their behavior in order to push back. But believe me, it is coming. The market's beginning to anticipate it. Buyers have bid up Dollar General in anticipation of the coming trade down. As part of price, as pr- prices go higher, people tend to get more frugal. But with the exception of the boom at Costco, I'm not seeing it. In fact, only RH, the old Restoration Harbor, has been adamant that the consumer's fed up. That's why this great company now is a miserable stock. So what will tell us when the trade down has truly arrived? First, I'd like to see a decline in higher-end restaurant spending. That's the easiest thing to happen, easiest thing to cut out. Hasn't worked yet. Maybe American Express will take the other side of the trade when they report next week. Maybe Visa or MasterCard can give us some insight. Second, we need to see a decline in travel. Another totally discretionary spending item. Hasn't happened yet either. Finally, third, more sales of knockoff store-branded merchandise at the major chains and, of course, a boost in Costco's membership. Why hasn't it happened? I think people are still living off the fat of the savings they had because they didn't go anywhere for almost two years, plus the government stimulus checks and their previous gains in the stock market, even though those checks have stopped a while ago and the gains are now evaporating. Consumers were sitting on that money for a long time because there wasn't much to spend it on. When that money runs out, which will probably happen sooner rather than later, then you'll start seeing major consumer pushback on inflation. You get that pushback, and the Fed won't have to raise interest rates as aggressively anymore. In the interim, though, it's all about owning Costco, as we do for the Chapel Trust, and it's not too late to buy it. And now, for the last time, for an amazing set in Studio C, America's first home. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to try to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you Monday from my new home at the New York Stock Exchange. The news with Shepard Smith starts now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.